Welcome in to another week of Broadcaster Hour. This is Roger Hoover with you from Tuscaloosa. We've got Kyle Crooks from Gainesville, Florida. And Kyle, things are really starting to get back to normal now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had my first television broadcast uh, last week, you know, six months of, of doing this podcast and doing other things and trying to evaluate how to get better at the craft and then finally getting the opportunity to call some games and um you know it was fun to get back in the booth i know for you uh the, the opportunity to get back and doing some pregame stuff for alabama football getting college football back so it's an exciting time yeah it certainly is and congrats some national exposure for our guy kyle crooks on the sec network getting to call uh florida and georgia how'd everything go and did you use any like broadcaster hour tips like for your open from roy philpot or kind of go into tim brando mode and bring that excitement that he brought during our episode did any of that help you out on sunday yeah a lot of it did you know and i look back to a lot of the prep episodes i know we've done the best of prep but i i've taken a lot of what joe davis has said in terms of you know bullet pointing at the top of you know the player boxes and making sure that you have highlights for each person and and you know what you want to touch on with each person so preparation wise uh you know talking with roy philpot and and you know doing the opens i know with him he's he talked about kind of like building that certain confidence uh, to, to start broadcasts and, and having a, you know, a, a wit about himself, kind of like joking before you go on the air. So there was a rush, Roger, I'll tell you what, uh, to get back on the air for the first time in a while um, to, to see that red light come on and to have that linear exposure, have the opportunity to call a national game. Uh, it was definitely exciting, a different experience, and I'll get another shot this Sunday coming up. Well, we look forward to watching uh, Florida against Alabama actually coming up this Sunday on the SEC Network. Uh, just real quickly, anything different with this uh, broadcasting during a pandemic? Anything that was a little different about your broadcast because of social distancing? Yeah, uh, the open was much different. My uh, broadcast partner was down on the field. He was wearing a mask. Um, he couldn't see the video that we were playing during the open, so that was a little bit different. Um, he was a mile away in a, in a studio, a communications building on the campus of the University of Florida. So uh, we didn't step on each other really at all. So that was the exciting part of it. Uh, we had some technical glitches kind of with, you know, us being in so many different places, equipment being stretched out. Um, so it was it was a fun experience, different experience. But, um, you know, it's funny that the first time I I get the opportunity to do a linear game. It's it's under these circumstances, and that's part of the reason why I get the opportunity to do it. But um, not having your partner next to you and you being the only one in the TV booth with three monitors in front of you, so uh, it was it was certainly a little bit different than what you're used to. But uh, I know it's something that we can get used to over time. No doubt about it. So that's really exciting for you. We've got SEC football in full swing. Uh, both Alabama and Florida have some home games coming up. So kind of with that, it's been a busy week, kind of getting, getting ready for everything that's coming up. So what we're going to do today on Broadcaster Hour, no guests this week, but we will have the best of baseball. And Kyle, we've been really blessed ever since our first guest, Adam Amin. We've had some great baseball broadcasters join us and talk about the craft of baseball play-by-play, because as you'll hear in all these clips coming up, it's just a different art form especially on the radio yeah it's much different uh it's more of a storytelling medium it's more of a meeting medium where you have to control your voice you know football and basketball is very much in your face it's very quick uh, the tempo is very fast and you know listening to the playoff games now i was listening to a lot of games on on espn radio they're doing just about every series and uh listening to a lot of the team broadcasters you know we've had a couple of them on this show uh tommy thrall who 
you know, as we were recording this, just called a, a thrilling extra inning game. Unfortunately, it doesn't go his way. Uh, of course, Tommy, the, the voice, radio voice now of the Reds. Um, but the one uh, piece of advice that really stood out, Roger, was Adam Amin's, that the lean in, lean out, the rocking chair rhythm of the sport. And, and that was the biggest takeaway, I think. And we've talked about it. Me and you both have had the same reaction um, when we go through all of the baseball episodes we've had and the biggest point of, of emphasis, biggest point of advice that we've gotten was from Adam, you know, that he got from John Miller and John Shambi, the ability to call every single pitch because every single pitch Roger can tell a story. And it is really important to give justice to every single moment in a baseball game. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And, you know, I spent 12 years in minor league baseball, and I feel like only the last three or four I kind of grasped that because I'd heard John Chomby bring that up before, and then Adam did a great job in our interview just really explaining it and kind of giving that visual of leaning in and leaning out. He talked about shoes on versus shoes off. And if you haven't seen it, it will be one of the first clips we have coming up on this show in just a few minutes. But, uh, you know, it's a great way to approach it. You know, I've also heard baseball described as a really slow game that gets fast in a hurry, and that can be a really a challenge for an announcer, especially on the radio. But not only do we kind of break down radio play-by-play, play, but we are joined by some great television broadcasters like Joe Davis of the Dodgers and Fox Sports, Kevin Burkhardt of Fox Sports, as well as Chip Carey, who's been on television for nearly 30 years now calling Major League Baseball between the Braves and the Cubs. So kind of great insights from them as well about what makes baseball on TV great, because in a lot of the big moments, even though if you're on TV, you're trying to provide captions, you still have to bring the action home. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, it is very important. And, and this was a point of advice, I think, from Joe Davis. He said, you know, radio, TV, uh, radio play-by-play and TV play-by-play, they are different, but you shouldn't think so much about it. I think when you, you're doing television play-by-play and you want to caption the big moment, I think you still have to do it justice. You have to do enough play-by-play where, you know, your your call can and, – and you also want to lay out, right, in the big moments, like when the game running, the game winning run is going to score, and you have everybody that's going to run out to the pitcher's mound or to second base in extra innings and mob each other. I think that's the point in television play by play where you really need to lean to to lay out. But when you have a, a, a double into the gap or a big home run, you really need to punctuate that call, whether it's radio or television. You're giving a little bit more description on the radio side. But I think the the biggest point of advice from Joe Davis was you still want to give the certain punch to that call and don't necessarily think of laying out so much like getting over analyzing the laying out aspect of it and still giving justice to a call. So it's, it's been fun to, to talk about because we've had radio guys on. We've had television guys on for baseball and it's been fun to kind of pick their brains on, on how they attack the craft of specifically the the play-by-play aspect, especially on TV, you know, captioning the picture. How much do you really go into doing that? So again, this episode is all about baseball. We've got some great guests from Adam Amin to Tommy Thrall. You look at what Chip Carey has done over the years, Joe Davis, even Wayne Randazzo, Andy Mazur. We'll hear from those guys a little bit later on as well. But just baseball on the radio specifically is just such a great way to break into this business. We know that a lot of youngsters are watching that uh, maybe are hoping that next summer they'll have the chance to call those summer wooden bat leagues or maybe break in the lower levels of the minors. And Kyle, if I've got to give one piece of advice to all of those guys watching – 
listen to what these guys are saying, but also just keep it simple. If I could go back and tell 19-year-old Roger when he was with the Kingsport Mets in 2008, what should you do calling baseball for the first time every day? Keep it simple. And I think that was the overriding message we got from these guys as well. Yeah, and and I go back to the Wayne Rondazzo episode when he mentioned, I think it was advice that he got from Pat Hughes, the voice of the Cubs, when there's second and third and it's a big double into the gap. On radio, you don't want to shove so much description into a moment like that. I think when you have a ground ball to short in the third inning and there's nobody on, I think that's that's the moment where you can utilize a little bit of flair in the description. I think when you, you have a big moment, you have to pass the information on, and there's so much going on where you have to describe the outfielder picking it up on the warning track, throwing it to the cut cutoff person, the relay to home plate, what are the runners doing? If you try to shoehorn so much description into that, and this is going back to the Pat Hughes advice that he gave to Wayne, where you just really want to try and make that moment simple, even on radio. And what's the old saying, right? Keep it simple, stupid. That's right. Uh, That's sometimes the best thing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you can have time to kind of work in some details later on and get that extra description. But, you know, saying that as a scoring play is happening, Baez rounds third. He touches the white square with the cubby blue leather on his left foot. Now goes back to the right foot. His left foot's now back in front. Now his right foot. Yeah, that's too much. You can't really do that. But uh, there are moments. That's why baseball's great, too. And other moments of the game, there is time for that description. There is time to work everything back in. And I think that's why we love it. Yeah, it is. And it's it's one of those games where it's it's been romanticized on the radio for so many years. And you'd like to describe more than just the action when it comes to baseball. You know, it's nowadays you can't describe a crowd. You could describe what the fan cutouts look like or what the mascot looks like. Um, but what are the smells of the ballpark? You know, what's the formation of the clouds overhead? The weather's a big one. You know, you start off every broadcast describing the weather. What does it feel like for the players? Or the uniform description is something that, you know, is I know Michael Kay always liked to, he was big on the uniform description and the midnight blue caps for the Yankees. And um, he had the same lines he would always say. So, you know, there's different things that you can describe uh, in during a baseball game where you have that extra time to let it breathe. Or even on radio, just not say anything we've had conversations where it's just you know can you is it okay to have 12 seconds of of nothing you know maybe certain levels where you don't have effects feeds and and natural sound and big crowds but if you're in even if you're most minor league parks or major league parks it's sometimes good to just kind of hear the hum the hum of the crowd so somebody driving kind of feel like they're there there's there's so many different ways to do this and utilize description and describing things you never thought should be described uh it's that's what that's what makes baseball i think and and softball too uh a really you know two fun sports to do on radio because it's the ultimate blank canvas and and you're the artist just kind of painting as you go and you can pick whatever you want you know different things out there besides the action that you can kind of dive into describing 
Yeah, and you get to do it every day, you know, especially if you're in one of those minor league jobs, college jobs, you're still getting at least four or five games a week as well, too. So it's uh, it's fun, and I miss it. You know, it's been a long time. I would, got to do a few digital TV games, but I didn't do any baseball on the radio this summer, as it turned out, spring or summer, uh, with the pandemic. So I certainly miss it, but I'm enjoying now that we're in the first week of the playoffs. Uh, you know, eight games being played on this Wednesday as we tape today, and uh, over this weekend, we're going to have a lot of great division games as well. But baseball is great. Baseball is a great sport on the radio especially and that's why i think people are going to enjoy the next hour yeah it's going to be a lot of fun we've had a lot of great guests um, and, and you'll see a lot of them throughout this hour a lot of guys in the major leagues um, a lot of guys that do it at a network level uh, for baseball and um, it's just one of those sports that you know you grew up on i grew up on we grew up on listening to our guys for me john sterling here in new york on the radio for you uh, being a cubs fan pat hughes a lot um, in chicago so and, and seeing some of our friends from the minor leagues who are now uh, get the opportunity to be major league voices. Um, so it's it, it's cool to watch and it's cool definitely to listen and sometimes mute the TV and just listen to the hometown radio guys and, and learn some things. Yeah, it's always great. So right now we have the best of baseball from Broadcaster Hour coming up. Just sit back, take some notes, and really learn because you're going to hear the best in the business really break down the craft in a way you've probably never heard before coming right up a 96 game schedule i'm sure i did probably about 70 out of 96 games for a couple of years doing the northern league uh and uh with the gary railcats uh to do 140 150 games a year for the somerset patriots for two years that it's a lot of reps like you you can't recreate that nine innings a night by yourself for the most part not all all the time but uh, for a lot of the time, you know, a good chunk of games you're doing by yourself. Uh, I did the middle three innings in Gary uh, every night, and then I would do all nine in Somerset as the, as the number one guy. So to have that many reps, to have that many innings under your belt, there, there's only so much you can get from just thinking about it and watching it. To do it is really where you get the most uh, kind of education, and it's hard to buy those reps anywhere uh, at that volume and at that frequency. Uh, I would say that Pat Hughes, obviously, being the Cubs radio voice. Uh, when I first started in Somerset, obviously, we're in New, Jer- New Jersey, so you could hear John Sterling. You could hear Howie, uh, Howie Rose. Howie has been a, a huge influence on me just in those two years of listening to him a lot. Uh, I would sit in the booth after being done with games in Jersey at you know 10 o'clock at night, and the West Coast games are, are starting up. So I'd sit in the booth and do notes and, and game notes for the next day and do the recap for the night. And I just put on Vin and listen to his first three innings when he would do the simulcast at that time. At that time, Vin was simulcasting for the first few innings. So to kind of pick and choose what you learn from them was huge. John John Miller, obviously massive influence. Gary Thorne, believe it or not, on the radio because he was doing Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, Dan Shulman, I took so much from. And then I think the two biggest influences probably are John Miller and John Chambi. Um John Chambi in particular has basically taught me how to be a radio play-by-play guy for baseball, which in turn has made me a better TV announcer as well. And his biggest thing was, uh, and it's and it's honestly the thing that changed my life, uh, and he learned it from John Miller. There are two, there, there's a couple notes, and I think this will really help a lot of people. There are a couple things that I think you have to understand. There's two modes to the game in baseball, and you can call it a couple different things. It's leaning forward, leaning back, Shoes on, shoes off. I think those are like those are the kind of ways that you know Joe Davis and Wayne Randazzo and, and myself and 
you know, a lot of guys that, that have leaned on each other over the years have kind of leaned on each other for advice. One of the things we talked about were take your shoes off in the middle of the fourth inning. Like, like, are you relaxed? Like, I, not, not you don't have to literally do it, but like, are you relaxed? Are you in a mode where, where you can tell a casual story in a four nothing game in the fifth inning? Uh, are you, do you have the ability to do that? And do you have the ability to shift your tone when two runners get on base in the seventh inning in a four nothing game and now the tying runs on deck can you build that drama as well and can you do it seamlessly and weave that from that casual story that you were telling so it's those two modes uh the other two uh, i would say are uh leaning in and leaning back there's a lean in moment and a lean back moment in every pitch in every game and you could do this for softball as well this works college baseball minor league major league uh, there's a lean back and a lean forward moment. The lean forward moment is the pitch. And the lean back moment is everything else. Uh, and I guess the lean forward is the pitch and the result of the pitch. Everything else is leaning back. And John Miller would say, can you balance those two tones in the middle of the pitch? Uh, Kyle Crooks out of Jacksonville, Florida. Good year last year. Hit 323, 17 home runs. We'll take a first pitch fastball strike on the outside corner. Kyle was telling me the other day, we were sitting at the batting cage, he's had a great story. He was telling me about his mom, about this uh, this great thing that she makes uh, when she when she's cooking. Here's the one outside. And then you lean back and you're telling the story. And John Miller, just the way he says that, and obviously you can kind of picture John saying it, that, that, that up and down, you know, sing-song cadence he has. Uh, it, that's very specific. That is like dead on specific. Like you're leaning in, to give the pitch and the result of, and then you can lean back out. And the other bow to that, that, that John Chambi taught me, that Boog taught me, was that's how you do it when you're at a baseball game. When you, you're sitting in the right field bleachers or down the first baseline with your buddy, oh yeah, well, what did your girlfriend say? Oh, that's cool. Uh, what, did, what did her friend say? Like, when I looked back this way, we're looking at the pitch. Maybe it's just because we don't want to get hit with a foul ball, that's fine too, but we're all paying attention to the pitch because maybe that's the one he hits out. So you can never forget that what's happening in front of you is still the most important thing. I think when you're a young baseball announcer, you have a tendency to be so wrapped up in the idea of, holy shit, how am I going to be able to fill three hours by myself? How am I possibly going to do this? And then when you realize that what's happening in front of you is still going to dictate pretty much everything else that will help you so much more significantly. It changed how I prepped for games. It changed more importantly, how I delivered and how much I delivered prep wise during the minute, during a game. And it made me realize how important documenting the game is. You still have to say, here comes the pitch. And, and and that was the the, the, the biggest lesson Boog taught me was you have to respect every pitch because it may be the one pitch in the game that really impacts it. And it may come in the second, it may come in the seventh, it may come in the ninth. But that doesn't and it doesn't mean you have to yell louder or be, you just have to be engaged on every pitch. So it has to be uh, actually I have a my first MLB games uh, scorecard is right here. So I'm just gonna use this as uh, so Joe Kelly is facing Jason Hayward's Cardinals Braves from 2013. Here's Joe Kelly, right-hander. Jason Hayward, lefty batter, will stand in. First pitch on the way. 
you're you're not only respecting the pitch, you're giving the space for the pitch to happen. So think about how you're pacing that. Here's the first pitch. Outside for a ball, 1-0 on Hayward. Hayward so far hitting 278, eight home runs, 15 dri- uh, 52 driven in. Here's the 1-0. Outside for a ball, 2-0. Jason Hayward, last night, 2-4 for four, with an RBI, stole a base. Here's the 2-0. Swing and a foul back, and it's 2-1. and one. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that if you're a listener, and you're trying to stay in the rhythm of the game because that's the most important thing. Baseball's a rhythmic game. You said it right out of the gate, uh, the, the kind of rocking chair pacing of it. You're trying to give every pitch its space and its respect. And what that forces you to do is to spread out your prep a little bit. So you may not get to that story that you got in the batting cage right away in the first inning. And maybe that's the only time you feel confident using it because he has a story about that pitcher that they're going to face, but that pitcher is only slated to go four innings today or, or, or two and a half innings in a, in a rehab assignment. So maybe you can only use it on that one at bat. That's fine. Maybe that it's more pertinent there. But you'll know that going in, and you'll say, all right, I'm going to make sure I give this story on the first at bat. And we'll try to spread everything else out. I'll go back to the numbers. You know, I, I always had a, a process where the first – at bat, I just wanted to give numbers. I just wanted to give base, and, and not overload, but basic stuff. 275, eight home runs, 27 driven in. Really good speedster, 20 steals at the top of the order. That's it. And then I let the at bat kind of play out. And I'll describe the player a little bit or give like a sense, especially if it's the first game of a three-game series. You have to think about these things in that in that respect as well. But what you're doing is respecting every pitch. You're giving space and documenting the game. And that allows you to spread your prep out, take some pressure off your shoulders. You don't have to know every single thing right out of the gate. You can let the game dictate how you announce a game. It'll help your pacing. It'll slow you down. Because you can't be in the what, – what I cannot stand sometimes is to hear an announcer, especially on the, on the radio especially, but it, the TV announcers are guilty too, to talk all the way through the pitch with no regard for understanding that something may happen there. And it's not going to happen every pitch. You're not going to respect – 250 to 300 pitches every single night it's hard but the goal should be to at least give the space for all those so that you're prepared for the double down the right field line and you're not in the middle of a story when the pitch and the swing are happening so it's not kyle told me a great story about what his mom said the other night and he swings and launches one to right like there is no rhythm there you're surprised all of a sudden by what's going on i don't like that and Boog, who got it from John Miller, they are two of the best in the business at pacing and rhythm when it comes to baseball on the radio. And I think both of them, when they do do their turns on TV, which they both do, uh, they have that same pace. They just don't prescribe every pitch. They might be telling a story about Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's arm slots are a little bit strange these days as he's going into the windup. And instead of continuing the story, he'll just say, it's a little bit strange these days. Watch the pitch. Say it gets fouled away. They may he may not say that the pitch was fouled because you can see it on TV. But then he'll pick up naturally in the story. So these rhythmic things are the things that have probably helped and shaped and molded me the most out of anything I've ever heard as a baseball announcer. So hopefully that helps you guys, and I think that help that that'll help a lot of young people who have this weight about the prep on their shoulders. You should still prep, be ready to go, but this will help your pacing and spread your prep out too. You come up with the words that can most 
accurately and succinctly describe the action. So you want to try to use as few but as descriptive adjectives as you can come up with. And the way you do that, again, it goes back to listening to a lot of guys. And I think the more guys you listen to, the more ways you're going to come up with to describe things. You, you don't want to get overly descriptive, though. I mean, I think you try to get too flowery, and then it's too much. Um, so there's a balance there. Uh, you want to set the scene, uh, and you want to continue to kind of set the scene. But the scene changes as the game goes along, whether it's the shadows on the field or maybe the sunsets. I, I mean, we've all been to Pensacola and seen the, the sunset at Blue Wahoo Stadium, there's about a 30-minute window. It is just a magical scene there. And um, so you, you just try to describe those situations as, as the lighting changes. It maybe changes the, um, the way the ballpark looks. But from an actual play itself, yeah, just try to use as few words but still be as descriptive as possible. You know, it's... Uh, a one-hop smash in the hole at short, backhand pick, and a strong throw in time. You know, you can you can get a lot out of that without necessarily saying too much. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing. Just try to use as descriptive of words as you can come up with while still using as few words as possible. Being on the radio, laying out, so essentially just letting the crowd tell the story. How much do you utilize that? Because I, I feel like sometimes radio guys are a little hesitant to sometimes just have eight seconds of say nothing and just let the crowd kind of, even if it's you know a one zero pitch, you know uh, right after a one zero pitch in the fourth inning, you just kind of let it run out for eight seconds of nothing. How much could that be, say, a weapon in a broadcast? Like you said, don't use as many words in description, but maybe not use any words at all. It's That's great. I, I think radio, the crowd and the sounds of the game really kind of help feed the theater of the mind a little bit. And so I think that's important. I don't do as good of a job of that as I should. That was one of the things that Marty's harped on me a lot about is really just kind of letting the game breathe a little bit. Um which I think is, is maybe a new problem for me. I, I don't. I, I used to think that I probably didn't talk enough, and uh, now maybe I've I've overcorrected a little bit. So trying to find that balance still. There's no. I don't think there's a recipe for it. I think that's just all when it comes down to feel. You don't want to suffocate a game on radio, or on TV for that matter. And the we can get into that later. But the two styles are completely different. But we're talking about radio here. You've got to let the game breathe. It's easier to do when there's a crowd. You know, if you're doing a game and uh, say it's a minor league game and there's 400 people in the stands, it's really hard to let a game breathe because there's nothing there. Uh, but if you're doing a game and it's a big, big crowd, yeah, let it let it breathe a little bit. Let the crowd kind of tell the story, and especially after you hit a big play. And I think that's where being on time comes into play because if it's a great play and it's a big moment in the game and the crowd's going to react, you don't want to be talking over that reaction. You want to get in, make the point, get out, and then let the crowd react. And that's that's the one thing where I would say in big moments, really let let the crowd kind of help tell the story. Home runs especially, once you say it's gone, lay out. Let the crowd take it. You know, I, I usually try to let the crowd go for a couple of bases while the guy's rounding, um, especially if it's a big home run. And then maybe once he crosses home, high fives everybody, then you go into, all right, 
Now, what what exactly does that home run do? You know, maybe we're all tied and it's the eighth inning or something. But yeah, let let the crowd tell the story, especially on those big moments, big plays. Hit the play and get out and get there as as quick as you can. And on that point, I guess of of not trying to talk too much. How do you utilize stats and numbers? Because you know. I've been guilty of this. I'm sure a lot of people have of just throwing out stats because you have them. Um, it, besides batting average, home runs, RBI, first time they come to the plate, what are some numbers that you like to use? And uh, what are some numbers that you think are that you don't really need for a broadcast? Maybe are good in certain situations, but sometimes are overdoing it a little bit. I. It- I don't get into the analytical stats hardly at all. Now, if a guy's war is off the charts and he's, you know, maybe it's really, I mean, noteworthy, all right, then maybe you talk about that. If he's in the MVP race, okay, now war comes into play. But you use the numbers to back up another point that you might be making. Don't use the numbers just to use the numbers. You always, especially on radio, I would say this more than anything, because when you're listening on radio, you're you're trying to focus on the game and what's happening in the game. And when numbers are thrown at you, unless you're using the numbers in some sort of real context to, to magnify a point or drive a point home, the number is going to be in one ear and out the other. It's not going to stick with people. So that's what I try. I try hardly ever use numbers. If I can avoid it, I will at all costs. But in this day and age, you know, with, with so many more analytical numbers, I think you have to have an understanding of, what they mean so if you do have a need to use them you can't well why i don't understand why the baseball world is so high on this guy well now you can relay well the reason they like him is his war is high what does war mean all right well you get into that a little bit but he does this and this and this well and maybe you don't even have to throw out the numbers but you can explain you know he's great defensively he gets on base a lot he gets on base at one of the highest rates in the league all right now you've just basically given a stat without giving a stat does that make sense so i think you use you use the information to help make a point not be the point and we've talked a lot about radio and of course your role now is as the radio voice of the cincinnati reds but you've also done a lot of television whether it's for baseball basketball football just how do you approach uh, being a television play-by-play broadcaster really for any of those sports it's so much different. I think the background information is so much more important there because the game the game is obviously the story, but you don't have to describe every pitch. You, you may want to set it up, but it's so much different now even uh, with all the retro games that have been on TV. I, I don't know how much of those you guys have watched, but I, it's kind of fun to watch some of those yeah. because even the broadcasting has changed a lot. Once the score bug, uh, the, little, the, the little score graphic, came into vogue uh and it shows the count the score where the base runners are i mean that takes away a lot of the setup that you would ordinarily have in a broadcast um so it's it's more of telling the background of the players getting into the things that they can't necessarily see and then you're just captioning the pictures that's all you're providing you're not necessarily describing in detail what's going on as it's happening you're just providing the captions for the pictures so don't get too wordy and that's where less is really more. And the other thing about TV, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, tennis, doesn't matter. Your analyst is the hero uh, on TV. Set them up as often as you can, as well as you can. And don't don't 
say too much to where they don't have anything to say afterwards. Let them really kind of drive the points home. And just it, you're there to facil- uh, facilitate their knowledge on TV. And that's that is a big, big difference between TV and radio. The Southern League can be quite a grind. You have 140 games in about 150 days, and you were able to do it for three seasons. Just what did you take the most from your Southern League time? You know, it's just the, the chance to do it every day. And it doesn't matter if there's nobody listening, relatively nobody listening to these minor league games. For us, we love it, right? We, we love that we get to go to the park and be the voice of a team. It didn't matter one bit to me that it was minor league baseball and relatively there's nobody listening. It was amazing that I was getting to talk about baseball and get paid for it. And it was amazing that every single day, like you said, 140 times in 150 days, it was an opportunity to get on the air and practice and get better. And because nobody was listening, to make mistakes that weren't going to get you canned and to try things around as far as uh, excited levels and different verbs and different descriptors um, that you may not be able to get away with trying out. It was like a proving ground almost for myself uh, before I got into a more high exposure place where I couldn't do those kinds of things. Joe, how much on a nightly basis were you listening back to to full games? You know, 140 games slate where, you know, it, most of it you're solo. So th- you're going to make mistakes. And sometimes you don't hear those mistakes while you're doing them. How much on a nightly basis was it part of your regiment to, to listen back and critique yourself? Yeah, I really obsessed over it. And I guess I had the time to obsess over it because the Biscuits had me back in the office at like 9 a.m., even though these games are 7 p.m. each night. That's kind of what minor league baseball is. You work around the clock to not make much money. I didn't have a ton to do once I got there. I had game notes that I had to do. I didn't sell. Some broadcasters in the minor leagues have to sell. I didn't have to do that. So I had some time where I could go back and listen to the entire thing. And I would listen to just about every pitch of every single game and really try to embrace the idea of using every one of those games to get better. And I think self-critiquing is probably the best way to do that. You can get critiques from other guys, and you should. That's a huge thing, too. But being hard on yourself and finding ways yourself each night to take a thing or two and be able to apply it the next night. And that's the other great thing about baseball, minor league baseball, is that your next opportunity to improve is the next night as opposed to you do a football game and you only get 12 to 15 of them and you got to wait a week between them to uh, make these improvements. It's really cool that you get to apply whatever it is you want to fix so quickly. You get to be the uh, television voice of a team and people are so loyal listening to you and Oral every night. Then you get to October and the stakes are at their highest and it's a national announcer. Now you've gotten to be on the other side of that calling the division series, also the ALCS uh, last year as well. Just how do you approach those October assignments knowing that the audience you have has been very loyal to their guys all season long and now it's you coming in as the big bad national announcer, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's helpful, Roger, that I do have both perspectives. So I do see what makes a, a team and its announcers with the relationship special. I do have that perspective. And so I understand when I go in and people hate me. I get it, right? Like, I'm not there every day living and dying with them. So I completely get it. Not because of that, but with that partially in mind, I really obsess over getting things right and spending a lot of time knowing the story of the season for the team and for the individual players. So when I go in to do a national postseason series like that, 
you can't get like when you get to that point. First of all, I don't think the fun deep dive stories are appropriate. If I'm telling you about a guy's tough upbringing, it feels a little odd when like the whole season is at stake at that point. It's more about the next pitch more than ever before. You get into the postseason, it's about the next pitch. It's about the here and the now, this game in particular. So I spend a lot of time, almost all the time, figuring out what the, what is the story of this guy's season. And maybe a little more than that, what is the story of their career? Um, you've got to nail that stuff. When you come in as a national guy, you're delivering it to an audience who follows it. And the same thing applies, I think, in college football or NFL. These fans follow these teams like it's their job, a lot of them. They spend a lot of time reading message boards and reading all the articles. You've got to come in with one week of preparation and not just you know, pass their test. You've got to teach them something if you're doing their job. You've got to deliver some stuff that they don't know. And so I really obsess over making sure that I nail the facts when it comes to each individual guy and the teams that I'm covering. We all love getting to meet our heroes in this business or inspirations to get into the business, but then to work alongside them is kind of another story. What can you tell us about getting to know Gary Cohen more and then really him mentoring you along during those eight years with the Mets? Yeah, well, he, he's just he's just a guy that I always looked up to and um, – you know, when I was coming up and when I was younger and certainly, you know, still do today uh, and did when we were working, together. you know, the, the best thing is we just became really good friends and I admire him for who he is, but it's just his work ethic is so damn good. I mean, it's the work he puts in and his, his, he's so good at his craft. It's unbelievable. So, you know, to the cool thing about it, I mean, look, I'm a hard worker, so I've never had that issue, but I always wanted to, uh, I always wanted to work hard because I didn't want to let him down. You know, he knows everything. You're doing a broadcast, he knows everything. So when I would join the broadcast, when they would, you know, turn my mic on, you know, I wanted to come with something that either he can continue the conversation or maybe even he didn't know. Um, so, you know, I wanted to put in the work. I forget what everyone else thought, but I wanted him to be impressed. Um, and that's the truth. So it's pretty cool. It's like, you know, when you're, you know, it's like you're playing golf with somebody, you're playing somebody who's really good. You don't want to get embarrassed, you know, so you want to kind of hold your own. So it was, a, it was, a, and it still is a great relationship. I mean, I love Gary. He was um, so somebody that I look up to, but also someone who would, you know, help me. You know, when I was doing baseball play-by-play, I, I had never done it on television. I hadn't done baseball play-by-play on television since William Patterson. It had been a long time. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I, you know, I, I'd done it on radio. It's just totally different. So he would critique me because he obviously his whole history was in radio. So he would help me out and be like, hey, like this was great. Or, you know, I noticed this. Maybe try doing this. Um, so that's, that speaks to the kind of guy that he is. I mean, I can't say enough about how much fun it was to do that with him. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, we just had a great relationship. I think that's, you know, we all did. I think that's why the broadcast part of it, why it works so well, because we all were really close and really respected each other. So when you had those opportunities to do Mets spring training games or some fill-in work for Gary during the regular season as a play-by-play announcer, just how much did you enjoy those assignments and it kind of light the fire even more for you to take your next step? 
Yeah, I mean, I loved it. It was fun. I mean, I, you know, of course I wanted to do uh, more play-by-play, but I mean, I, I never had an illusion that that was in the cards with Gary because he's a workhorse. He doesn't take off too often. So, I, you know, I, I did a ton of spring training games, and then I did a handful of games each year, which was great. Um, and then Fox started using me here and there to do a game or two, like a Met game or two that was on Fox. They would have me do it. And, and so I was really just wanted to do more just to get reps to get better. Um, so yeah, I totally, I totally cherish those, but I really liked, you know, the ability to be versatile. I cherish the ability to do play by play, to do the field reporting and to studio host. Like I, you know, people earlier in my career is like, well, you got to pick one, you got to be good at one. And I didn't believe that. And, um, you know, now I, I do all those things and, and I think that's why I'm here. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that in diversifying. Um, so yeah, I, I, Roger, I enjoyed doing the play by play, but I really enjoyed doing all of it. Um, I think it, you know, I think it made me a better broadcaster. What were some of the tips that Gary did give you or some of the things that you were thinking about when you were first entering that play by play realm with the Mets and then doing some fill and stuff with the, with Fox, what were some things that you were working on that you were trying to iron out? Well, I think you just have to find your own style. You know, um, with other sports like, say, football and basketball, um, you guys know, you know, there is a there's a cadence, there's a clock, there's a timing. Um, so, yes, you have to have your own style there, of course. But there's also a structure where it's like, bah, 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 you know, you talk, analyst talks. There's structured times for the most part when that normally happens. Uh, baseball, there's not. Um, baseball, there's none of that. It's the complete opposite of that. So. You, know, you you have to find your comfort level. There's so many elements to it. Your, your comfort level in uh, the cadence of the game, in storytelling, in when to talk, when not to talk, um, in you know when to use stats, when not to use stats, all of that. It's just different. Um, so for me, it was really just finding the comfort level. You know, I, I always thought I was pretty decent at it, but then it was just getting better. So, you know, really, I mean, honestly, it took me till, you know, maybe – two years ago when I really felt like, okay, like this is like now I'm now I'm now I feel really good where, where I am. Like I kept tinkering every year a little bit, whether it was with prep or certain things I did on the broadcast. And I think that's good. I think we always should be tinkering, right? Like we're always trying to get better. So it was just an ongoing thing. It's just a different, it's just way different than doing the other sports. Um, and I hadn't done much of it on TV. So it was really about finding the cadence and your comfort level and things that work for you. You know, I think there's a lot of copycats, I think that's the worst thing you could do. I think you have to be yourself. Um, you know, there's some people that have a signature call, and that's totally cool. I don't really have one. Um, and I never, I never thought about one. Um, so that's just me. I didn't really. It wasn't my my jam. So, um, you know, I think you just have to be you. You have to find what works for you. So that was like the thing. Just really, you know, Gary was good about like mechanical things and certain things about hey, do this or. I would avoid this or watch out here. You know, like I would call, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but, you know, never had this problem on radio, but with TV, you know, I would almost anticipate something happening early mm -hmm. on. So let's say a guy hits it in the gap. I'm, oh, it's going to be a double, right? Well, you know, one time, you know, I, I basically call the guy's got a double and he almost gets thrown out. So, you know, they're like, all right, you got to you got to wait till he's there. You know what I mean? We're in radio reality. No one's seeing it. So you can kind of do that and, you know, kind of fudge it a little bit. 
you know, so it was just like little things like that, timing things, all those things that you're just constantly working to get better on. The Braves have such great broadcasting tradition in part because of your dad, but as well as Ernie Johnson Sr., Pete Van Weeren. Uh, what you really learned from those guys in those years, as well as some other broadcasters around the major leagues who have known you before, but once you're part of the club, how do they help you out? Yeah, uh, well, first, uh, Ernie Johnson is the reason that the Braves baseball is broadcast the way that it is. Uh, with all due respect to my dad and Pete, uh, none of this would have started without Ernie Johnson and his vision and his, uh, shall we say, stewardship and, and uh, patronage. Uh, my dad uh, tells, told the story all the time. One of his first broadcasts with the Braves in 1976. Uh, I don't know where it was. I can't remember that part. But uh, we'd come on the air, they'd do their open, they'd sit down, the number two guy in the booth would welcome everybody back, do the lineup, set the umpires, tell the weather, all that stuff. And then right before first pitch would send it over to, in this case, Ernie Johnson, who would start the game on play by play. So dad finishes up the lineups. Joe West has the lineup card, throws a, a, a Steve Bedrosian ready to go with his first pitch. And here with the play by play story, the voice of the Braves, Ernie Johnson. And Ernie says, thank you, Skip, does the half inning, it ends. Ernie takes off his headset and taps my dad on the shoulder and said, hey, Skip, do me a favor. And dad's like, what? What do you need, Ernie? He said, please don't refer to me as the voice of the Braves. We're all the voices of the Braves. And for my dad, that was a wonderful seminal moment because you all want to be accepted. You want to fit in. You want to not step on anybody's toes. And the point of that was that no matter who has been in that booth, nobody's the number one announcer. I am not the voice of the Braves. We are all voices of the Braves, and everybody is first among equals in that booth, and we all share each other's uh, same job responsibilities, same love for the team, same love for the broadcast, same care for our fellow employees, and ultimately try to serve the fans exactly the same way. So that was the first lesson. Uh, Pete Van Weeren taught me more about preparation uh, than anybody. Uh, Pete would take copious notes. He was a master of routine. Every single day, Pete went through the same routine to get to the ballpark. He got to the ballpark at 2.30, 3 o'clock every day, went down and saw Bobby Cox, talked to the other broadcasters, got his stack of press notes, had them folded the same way, uh, had his stack of books uh, perched to the side, both rule books back then, the red book for the Na American League, green book for the National League, rules, rosters, media guides. I mean, he had a, a stack of notes this high on the desk, and he'd rest his arm and do the game that way. Pete was left-handed, I think. Yeah, Pete was left-handed, and he broadcast the game and, and scored the game in pen. I don't think I ever saw Pete have to uh, use whiteout to fix a scorecard, unless – there was a lineup change 10 minutes before the game started. He'd be furiously scribbling, and it just it just threw him into a tizzy because he was so routine-oriented. But they called Pete the professor because he had an encyclopedic knowledge of what was going on in the game with the team, the rules, the statistics. And he just he didn't care about being famous. He cared about being good and about being right. And um, he, he just had an unwavering sense of obligation to uh, be as prepared as he possibly could to deliver that uh, information to the fans. With my dad, uh, look, I'm biased. I think all three of those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. My dad was kind of the Falstaffian, uh, class clown, Eddie Haskell type guy, but very, very serious uh, about the game. Uh, was very passionate about stuff that he believed. Um, he did not uh, suffer fools lightly. He did not uh, care is maybe the wrong word, but he wasn't concerned about telling it like it was. If a player was playing bad or behaved poorly, he said so. I think that he would be very difficult to hire today, just like my grandfather, too outspoken, too honest uh, in the business. But uh, in my opinion, when the ball was in play, when a big moment was about to take place, nobody 
could do it as well as my dad. He just had a sense of how to capture excitement on TV and on radio. And uh, he knew how to use the crowd and his voice as a pair of instruments that augmented the broadcast. And, uh, uh, you know, those were all three things that were really, really important to my development. And I would say to anybody's development, be accurate, be fair, be ready for the big call, expect the unexpected and inform and entertain. And I think that trio did it as well as anybody in baseball history. How much do you think the baseball broadcaster has changed over the years? Because you wonder if if Red Barber applies for a job now, you wonder if he does get hired because it's just such a a different style, the the Mel Allens back in the day. How much do you think the position has just changed in its overall presentation on the air? I think that's exactly right. Uh, You know, before television, it was radio and radio was a storytelling game. Red Barber would talk, well, I was having lunch with uh, uh, Rube Waddell the other day. And he told me about this and this. And that brings me back to Dizzy Dean and the Wabash Cannonball. I mean, you you would tell stories and intertwine those great historic figures in baseball in your broadcast to try to educate the fans and keep them connected to the past. An example of how it changed years ago was David Hill, who ran Fox Sports when they began covering Major League Baseball, had his famous no dead guys rule. And David Hill was this great, gregarious Australian man. Uh, super, super influential, who said to us all, you know, we're living in life sandbox. You know, let's enjoy being in sports because we don't have to go dig ditches for a living. We're in the sandbox, play with the toys and have a good time. But he said of baseball, I don't want to hear about dead guys. Young fans don't know who Ty Cobb is or Babe Ruth is. And if you're going to talk about them, try to have video of them so that we can bring them to life. In theory, that's a great idea. But in practice, it's impossible because you don't know when that subject's going to come up in an instant during a broadcast and so the no dead guys rule was sort of an idea that okay we're getting away from storytelling Uh, i have been told that the position of a broadcaster we are the audio producer of the telecast Uh, on television you have so many promotional drop-ins you have so many sponsored elements that you have to read that the ability to tell stories is severely limited you don't really get a chance to do that so it's really two different mediums. Radio, you have uh, a blank canvas verbally to work with each and every day. You can paint whatever picture you want. And if a player is a step slow to a ground ball, you can, oh, it's just out of reach of Dansby Swanson. On TV, if he gets a bad jump because he's out of position, you can't really fake that. You can say, he got a bad jump, right? Two different, two different uh, perspectives on the same kind of play. Um, but more and more today, I sense that the role of the play-by-play guy in baseball is traffic, uh, traffic cop. Uh, I truly believe that the star of the broadcast should be the analyst because he played. Uh, people want to hear about Jeff Francoeur, Tom Glavin, or Joe Simpson's stories about what it was like to face different guys and what the situations are. And the really good ones seize the microphone and aren't afraid to offer their opinions and be wrong. Uh, or right for that matter. But our job is to really keep the broadcast moving. Uh, we're conductors in a train, but we are not the primary storytellers. It's the players nowadays on the TV side, which is very, very different than it was 30, 40 years ago. Comes to TV play-by-play for baseball. What are the biggest principles for you that makes a good television broadcast from a play-by-play perspective? Yeah, don't talk too much. I mean, that's rule number one. Uh, and it's it's a real, I think it's the most difficult thing to master. And all of us who are doing it have not mastered it. Nobody has. I think we're all guilty of, of forgetting that there is a TV picture there that you do not have to speak in such great detail as you would on radio. Um, you know, Harry Callis of the Phillies, the late, great Harry Callis was terrific. He went, uh, you know, he went nine pitches and didn't say a word one time. 
I mean, what else can you say? Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four, whatever it was, he just let the game speak for itself sometimes. And I think we all have this uh, subconscious urge to think that, oh, my God, if I'm not talking, I'm not informing people. That's not necessarily the case. If they're watching and paying attention, uh, they'll see that it's a ball outside. They'll see that the manager's arguing, or they'll see it's a two-hop ground ball to second. You you don't have to describe all of those things. So that's rule number one for me on TV. Don't talk too much. Uh, that's that's my uh, – I try to remind myself of that every day, and as you can tell from my answers, I don't really, I don't really abide by that all that well. Uh, but secondly, I think the main thing is uh, you set up your analyst uh, on TV. Um, they are there because they play. They have a great deal more experience on radio – the play-by-play guy has to be the star when he's when he's the one handling the play-by-play duties because he's responsible for everything. Uh, on television, you have the analyst who can talk about what it's like to face a 98-mile-an-hour fastball or foul a ball off his shin or what he might have been thinking in that situation or what it's like to smash into the brick wall at Truist Park. I've never done those things. And so our job is to bring the most out of them so that that person can enhance the experience and bring the viewer to a place that they cannot go, which is in the box, on the mound, uh, out in the outfield or in the clubhouse or dugout. And uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's a pretty easy thing for me to do, because with Joe, Tom and Jeff, they're more than willing to grab the mic and talk, which makes my job a lot easier. It's not an interview. It's a conversation. And how about the storytelling aspect of baseball and, and having that, I guess, the feel of when to tell a story, making sure if you do tell a story, there's a beginning, a middle, and end. The old adage, don't tell a story with two outs unless you're Vince Scully because he'll find a right. way to get it in. <laughs> exactly. Um, how long did it take you to, to build that, that feel of storytelling? Um, I, I think a lot of that depends on the philosophy of your broadcast uh, outlet. Uh, a lot of places don't want you delving off into other stories. They want you to stick strictly <laughs> Pardon me, to the game at hand. Uh, that's great if it's a 3-2 game in the bottom of the ninth inning. What if it's 19 to nothing and you're trying to keep people interested in the game and keep people uh, watching so that the advertisers are fulfilled? Because ultimately, if you don't get ratings, uh, advertisers don't spend as much money and we don't all get paid. I think that's something that is that is sometimes not thought about. Uh, I think something else that's not thought about, too, if you're the team on the and you're working for the team that's on the short end of that 19 nothing game, you have two ways or really three ways to do the broadcast. As you said, talk about everything else that's happening in baseball, because ultimately, I think we're selling the game, not just our game or our team. We're trying to sell the game and make it interesting to uh, people around the sport. You can talk about how bad your team played getting beat 19 nothing and a pitcher stunk, you know, four errors. They weren't into the game. They didn't look prepared to play. I don't think that's going to be received too well, right, by your employers who are in partnership with the team. Or you can talk about how well the other team played on that particular day. Hey, boy, you got to give credit to the Phillies. They were just they were on everything that uh, uh, Mike Fulton had today. John Smoltz, Roger Clemens, Cy Young, they would have probably suffered the same fate today. Boy, you got to tip your cap to the Phillies. Well, that really rankles a lot of people because they think, well, you're not talking about our Braves all the time. Well, no, I'm trying to couch it in a way that takes the heat off the Braves and gives credit to the other team. I will always try to be fair uh, because I think that's that's obviously very important. Uh, but storytelling and, and that, uh, picking your spots is important. Uh, again, there are some people who don't want, you, don't want us delving off into uh, – shall we say, entertainment. They just want us to do the game. And if that's the mantra of the people that employ you, no matter how much you like or dislike it, that's ultimately what you have to do. Uh, I love telling stories. I love talking about that stuff. 
but I just wonder sometimes if it is as relevant to the audience, uh, today's audience, as it would be for me because I'm a baseball fanatic. If people tune in and tune out uh, to games, as you all know, it's not really a nine-inning thing anymore because of the time of games. Uh, Getting those stories in in a timely manner in a way that makes it accessible to everybody, I think is sometimes the biggest challenge. And Chip, how has your preparation changed over the years when you're first coming up early days with the Braves and the Cubs, kind of a pre-internet era in terms of a lot of baseball research, but now we have all the research we can handle with the internet and social media as well. So how has your preparation process changed over the years? Yeah, in the old days, it was you couldn't get enough information. Now it's just probably too much. Uh, We get a sheaf of press notes before the game. Uh, I mean, I, I can only imagine what the copy paper bill is for a major league ball club nowadays. A lot of that's also done digitally. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not really a super duper numbers guy. I'm more of a stories guy or a facts guy, because again, on TV, they're going to put his average home runs, RBIs on base percentage and stuff on the screen. So I don't have to say all those things all the time, but the internet's an incredibly valuable resource. In the old days, you'd grab uh, every newspaper you could find in Chicago, you get the Trib, you get the Sun Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and you read them every day, looking for box scores, looking for stories, looking for things that were going on pre-internet now all that stuff's available at the uh, at the click of a mouse uh, for me personally my preparation's pretty much the same uh for a seven o'clock game i'm up at eight o'clock and i'm on uh, all the uh major sports uh, uh uh media companies websites perusing stories i go to every team's local paper and read the game story i'll read all the box scores uh, I'll make notes and put them in, on a sheet of paper. I, I just put it on one eight, eight and a half by 11 p- uh, piece of paper so that if we have a bad game, I've got Cliff's notes of things that I can talk about to inform and entertain. Uh, then I go to uh, the game story for our visitor or our opponent and our game stories, read those, read the box scores. That's just that's just the, the, the background stuff. That takes about two and a half, three hours. Then I you know, get some personal time, exercise, get some sleep, have lunch, go to the ballpark, three o'clock, three thirty. First place I go, manager's office, coach's office, our clubhouse, visiting clubhouse, visiting players, onto the field for batting practice, uh, watch some of their guys hit if I can, then head upstairs, and then we have a production meeting. So from pretty much 8 o'clock until midnight when the game's over, I'll get about three, four hours that are mine and mine alone. Most of it is categorizing, cataloging, thinking about things to talk about. And then ultimately the final exam is the game itself, which starts at uh, 6.30 for us with the pregame show. But for a TV play-by-play where you're trying to provide more captions, just how much, what are you thinking about as you're calling the game on TV and what you say? Yeah, just trying, you know, not to talk, basically, I think is, is the best thing, especially when you're doing a lot of radio and then you have to do TV. Um, you know, Gary doesn't miss many games. He misses like three series a year. Usually they're like in the middle so I'm doing, you know, 80, 90 radio games in a row, and then all of a sudden they plop me on TV. Um, I remember last year, especially my first TV game of the season, I just was like a chatterbox. I couldn't stop talking, um, and I, I noticed it. The producer noticed it. I'm sure Keith noticed it. Um, you know, it was just too much. And then, you know, the second day and the third day, you know, it's always the third day where you feel great. Like you talk the right amount, you you feel like it's 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 going great, and then you know Gary's back, and then you got to go back to radio. So um, it's hard for me to get into that rhythm on TV because I only do nine or ten games a year. But uh, the biggest thing is is just not to talk as much. You know, you let let the sounds of the game happen. You know, Len Casper is so good at that. He he really 
he, you know, you could even say Len lets it breathe too much. You know, he, he will really let it go. And on a beautiful day at Wrigley Field, it's sunny. There's a lot of chatter from the crowd. Like, you don't need to talk. You can just let the game be. And I think Len is great at that. Um, you know, I, I think that for me, uh, on the actual play calls, when you when you have to say stuff, it's it's just as important to not say nearly as much as you would. You should not give any descriptions. You should not, you know, if Ahmed Rosario is moving to his right, I should never say that on TV. I should never say Rosario to his right. Um, it's, you know, I could say Rosario goes to the hole maybe, but I would never say you know, he's moving to his right. I think the, the less of those descriptions that you can give on TV, the better, because you're really just trying to caption what's happening. You're not trying to give the play-by-play necessarily. So, um, you know, it's a lot different. There's a lot of balance to it, but I think the biggest thing is is taking 90% of what you would say on the radio and just throwing it in the garbage. Wayne, how much has your overall prep process changed throughout the years? I think I saw on Instagram Live that you you use Microsoft OneNote for baseball. I know Joe Davis and Adam Amin, they both use Microsoft OneNote. Roger does. I do as well. Uh, how much has that process overall just changed from when you started till now? Um, the, once I got the OneNote going, you know, that's been kind of steady. I, I, I think that, you know, for, for those of us who've done it for a little longer, it's good to get to a point where you can kind of just do the prep in your sleep almost, where it just becomes kind of second nature. You know, I, I added a few more things last year as I did the, the full-time play-by-play just because I was doing it day in and day out. So I added a page where I, I have the, you know, just kind of different little game notes, things that I definitely want to use for that particular night's broadcast um, that I have in a tab. I have kind of league-wide things that I'll continuously update. Um, you know, maybe some different stories that I want to add into. Um, it just depends, you know. It's if, if something happens that I want to talk about, I want to make sure it's in there um, so that I, I don't forget about it. But, you know, as far as the, the daily player prep, you know, I try to – I do all the Mets stuff in the offseason – and then I'll go. I don't want to get too ahead of it with the other teams because rosters change so much, and I don't necessarily want to waste time prepping a guy that I won't even see. So, um, you know, I'll wait a few days out and I'll start getting after the rosters a little bit uh, for the other teams. And then I'll get pretty heavy, especially in the day or two leading up to a new series. You know, 90% of my prep goes into the other team. You know, I want to be able to be up to date on what Washington's doing or what Miami's doing. And, uh, you know, just kind of, I don't want to be caught off guard by anything that's happening with the Marlins, you know, which is not exactly the easiest team uh, to keep keep an eye on. Uh, you know, it's a team that hasn't had much success in the last few years. And uh, they've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of guys coming in and out. So, you know, you just try to stay on top of it as best as you can and, and find little storylines and, and find ways to, you know, make, make at least make some sense of what they're doing. You know, Jorge Alfaro can't stop swinging your pitches out of the out of the strike zone you know you want to be able to, to tell that story you know Lewis Brinson changed his number you know he wanted to pay tribute to Juan Pierre but didn't necessarily want to hit like Juan Pierre so he's got a new number this year you just want to be able to tell those stories um, and and you know make it sound like you know what you're talking about when it comes to the, the other teams you know, I think there was a, a phrase I always heard at the score they called people out of town stupid that you know you didn't really know what was going on in Chicago you just kind of were took a few headlines and try to make sense of it. 
and I don't want to be that. I, I want to make sure that I at least have a good sense of what's happening with those other teams. You'll never know it the same way you know your own, but um, at least to have a, a better sense than most. With radio obviously being different than than TV, um, you know, you don't have to be as descriptive obviously on TV because you can see it. But you know, on radio, I like to try to paint that picture as best as I possibly can. I don't like to go completely overboard one way or underboard the other way. I try to. I know it sounds like a cop out, but I try to keep it as, as in the middle as I can. You know, I like to tell you what direction he's moving. You know, if the if the shortstop is moving to his left or his right, you know, off balance throw. If it's enough, if he's jump throw, I like to say jump throw. So that way, if the listener knows that it's a jump throw, it might not be a good throw to first, and then that sets up the dugout skillfully at first base by a brave. So it, it it kind of all goes hand in hand. You know, I mean, I like to uh, I, I don't like to flower it up a little bit. I mean, I like to kind of keep it to the basics where. You know, I feel like listeners, you know, they're, they're smart people. I mean, I don't think they want to be overstimulated. I don't think they want to be understimulated. I think they just want enough to make sure that they can see it uh, in their minds. And, you know, that's what I try to I try to picture that. I actually, it's, it's interesting. Somebody asked me who I picture when I do the broadcast. And I picture a dad and a kid in a car driving around in the middle of nowhere using a baseball game as a talking tool between the two of them. Uh, learning life lessons, life experiences, and that kind of thing. So I like to do a little teaching during the game uh, with the help of my color commentator, obviously. You know, if there's a rule that happens in the game, you know, you can't assume that every time someone turns on the radio that they're baseball fans. They're captive audience members in the in the car, you know, that, that don't want to be there and they don't want to listen to this game, but they're forced to listen to the game. So you may as well teach them something. If they're, you know, if they're sitting there listening, you may as well let them know that uh, the infield fly rule is this or, you know, that, uh, you know, ball four is, is a walk or whatever. You know, ground rule double is a ball that bounces here or gets trapped here. So, you know, I like to do a lot of teaching. But at the same time, that's where the storytelling comes in, because, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up around baseball with my grandfather and and my father. Uh, you know, I played it just enough to love it and enough to know that I couldn't do it for a living. And wanted to be around it. So luckily for me, I had this other opportunity to stay in the game. But that's the kind of people I, I listen. To, I, I think that are listening to the game. I mean, I, it, it may be completely different, but that's that's the that's the. I have it in my head. You know, I even have it down to the station wagon with wood paneling. You know, I mean, it's because that's what my dad and uh, my dad had at the time. So I, I I kind of picture it. It's almost like picturing myself and my dad in the car. Uh, you know, driving. What did, what did we want to hear? Well, we wanted to hear about our favorite players. We wanted to hear some information about our favorite players. We wanted to know how our favorite players were doing. Uh, yeah, we wanted to know how the, the Cardinals were doing because we hated the Cardinals. I mean, that's just kind of the, you know, kind of the way it is. So, you know, I adapt that obviously to each city that I've broadcast in each town, each side of town here in Chicago that I've, I've broadcast in. But I, I try to keep it, you know, not to the point where it's it's fluff, but I don't want to undersell anything because to me it's really important for you as a broadcaster, especially in baseball and radio. They're not there. I mean, you have to be the eyes. You've got to be the ears. I like to notice things, you know, that a lot of people don't notice if there's like a glove exchange or if there's guys in the dugout messing around or, you know, those are the kind of things you can't see if you're sitting in your car. And I like to let them, I like to let the people see that. 